What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. It's the last one of the week, and as always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL, and you can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And hey, if you're one of those people that always tries to listen in their car, or you just don't like scrubbing through podcast apps, you can always just ask any smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And as always, you can find the show on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you find your shows. So it's been a pretty eventful week here on Locked on Vikings. We've followed backup quarterback drama. We've followed all kinds of guard drama. We've seen all kinds of players depart. And now it has capped off with the actual official real life signing of an offensive guard. The Vikings did it, everybody. They signed Josh Klein to a three-year deal worth $15 million. I think I saw like $7 million or something of that is guaranteed. His cap number in 2019 is going to be something like $3 million, which keeps the Vikings in a place with the salary cap where they can still sign all their draft picks and they can maybe get more guys at like the veteran minimum like they did with Dan Bailey and Amir Abdullah and all in all be expected to be the starting right guard for the Vikings for as many of those years as he plays out. Now, I don't think that stops the Vikings from drafting somebody who would come in and play right guard. Like, I think competition is fine, and they've always been very willing to move players around if they have to to make it work. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show, about position switching and stuff. Uh, You might want to go back to the position switching episode I did a a few weeks ago as a refresher, because I'm going to draw on that knowledge a little bit for this whole diatribe. But for now, just talking about Josh Klein, I, I, I know a lot of Titans fans, like if you go to the replies of the announcements that Josh Klein has signed somewhere, the, annou- the, the announcement that the Titans released him, Titans fans are like good riddance and they're, they're blaming him for Mariota's injuries and stuff. And, and I think that's, you know, I, it makes sense for them to be very sour. The last they saw of him was one of the worst uh, back half stretches of his career next to maybe the one time when he had a crappy offensive line coach in 2015 in New England. And while he struggled a lot when the new offensive staff came into Tennessee and switched them to his own scheme from like the power weird exotic smash mouth thing that they were doing under Mike Malarkey and then they like went to a more traditional zone scheme and then Josh Klein struggled and that might give you pause but I think the Vikings saw like traits with him you know he moves around really nimbly he's extremely athletic and and agile especially for like a big lineman type he can be overpowered and he has technique flaws that can get him beat sometimes but he's really good at recovering it kind of reminds me of what we saw at a Brian O'Neill last year where he would get blown back sometimes but he would anchor and he would find a way to seal you off and he would make it you know he would be able to buy a couple extra steps so the quarterback could get the ball out or, or bail out of the pocket or do whatever he had to do uh, and I think you're just going to see more of that but on the interior as well I, I think it is an upgrade over Mike Remmers even though like down the back stretch of the season Mike Remmers was actually outplaying Josh Klein by a pretty significant margin if, at least if you go by like pressures and PFF grades part of that is a disastrous nine pressure game against Houston which was very bad and I, I uh, talked about it on yesterday's show 
And part of that was just like general inconsistency that isn't really reflective of who Josh Klein has been elsewhere in his career. And the only other real time that he's had that's been noteworthy is in the 2015 playoffs when he was in New England. And if you remember, Tom Brady was under fire constantly down the back half of their down the stretch of that season. And in that AFC championship where Peyton Manning ended up going to that Super Bowl, beating the Panthers, he was getting his butt handed to him and he was like had way more impact than a guard should have on an AFC championship. And the last time Tom Brady didn't make the Super Bowl, it was like a lot of it was because of Josh Klein playing at left guard instead of right guard. So again, I've seen a lot of like shuffle it up type uh, plans for the offensive line and Josh Klein moving to left guard has been part of that. And I, I would advise strongly against that. Last time it happened, it kept Tom Brady out of the Super Bowl, which literally has not happened since. So I would not recommend following in those footsteps. In other updates and news, Trevor Simeon signed with the Jets. That means that it's another uh, expiring contract, you know, unrestricted free agent Viking that goes to another team, which would count. He's like eligible for the comp pick formula. I don't think he's going to make enough to count toward it. Uh, the Vikings have now lost six players, and they've only gained one compensatory pick eligible player back. That's Shamar Steven, which means that we are getting to the point where these guys are starting to not count because we've hit the limit. You can only have four compensatory picks per season, and currently the Vikings have lost six compensatory eligible free agents and only gotten one back for a net of five, which means the cheapest guy isn't going to count even if he would have otherwise. And a lot of these, you know, Anderson Dejo's contract is like 1.3 million average per year. Like some of these are just not going to count anyways, but it's whatever. You're splitting hairs between a seventh round pick or no seventh round pick, which is pretty low impact anyways. But more importantly, the Vikings backup quarterback has now departed. So the Vikings need to do something else at backup quarterback. And that something else could be right with Kyle Sloter. And a lot of people are very high on Kyle Sloter because of his preseasons. We kind of touched on this on yesterday's episode as well. But now the Vikings who have shown interest in Sean Mannion might have to clear a little bit of cap to do that. And when you only have to clear like a little bit of space, sometimes you can make that happen by like asking a couple guys to take like 50k pay cuts or whatever. Uh, Especially if you're going to give Sean Mannion like the vet minimum like you did with Dan Bailey and Amir Abdullah. Um, But speaking to that, just like cap strategy, it does seem like Brzezinski has done an excellent job of taking a pretty cap strained year and a a really prohibitive contract in Kirk Cousins and still managed to hang on to Barr and not lose Griffin or anything like that. They'll trade away Waynes if someone blows them away and that will clear cap space. But from all the reports, it sounds like they'll do that to acquire more draft capital than Trey Waynes is worth and not necessarily just unload him to whoever will take him to clear out the cap space, kind of like what the Steelers had to do with Antonio Brown because of his issues. No, they're they're going to keep him unless someone blows them away, which, hey, somebody might. It's really hard to get a cornerback this year. But now, you know, with... Dan Bailey and Abdullah and the backup quarterback situation, you're starting to see that like Brzezinski can't solve everything and he's taken that burden. And instead of making that burden cost the Vikings like Barr or Griffin or a, you know, a key cog in their system, he's making it cost like, eh, we couldn't keep Trevor Simeon and eh, we couldn't really go after like a better RB2 than Amir Abdullah. And that is probably the best way to manage cap strain is, is to like disseminate all that pressure over, you know, depth positions and kind of like kicker, you need one, but what should you spend on it? 
and kind of spread all that burden out over all of those very little things. And if you can structure all the other contracts to work with it and just shove everything else by the wayside and now like, yeah, our RB2 is making the veteran minimum and we couldn't do any better than that. That's okay because they, it's like obviously not even nearly as important as like a starter on the defense and one of the like star all pro pro bowl players. So, you know, Brzezinski, the magic man, is playing this absolutely correctly, and it's interesting to see that, like, okay, even he can't make it perfect. He still has to, like, cheap out in some places, but he's chosen the correct places to cheap out, at least in my opinion. Uh, But I'm going to go to a quick ad break, and then when I come back, I'll talk about where the Vikings' offensive line process is and where they are kind of in team building and stuff right now, and just, like, a philosophy that I want to kind of apply to the Josh Klein signing and whatever else they do on the offensive line. I'll see you guys in a minute. All right, we're back. So you probably saw the title to this show, and it probably warrants a little bit of explaining here like 10 minutes into the show. In the NFL, you don't get points for completion. You don't get points for just fielding a team. You have to field a good enough team to at least be competitive. And we could even go deeper into that and say, like, what is competitive? What's a good enough team? You know, if you made it to the championship round but didn't win the Super Bowl, did you do a good enough job? And you know, what's process over results? We could talk about all that stuff. But the point is you need to field a team that is whatever your standard is of good enough. Maybe that just means you need to have improved upon last year. And if you improve upon last year, every year, eventually you get to a Super Bowl. Maybe to me, I, I think that a good enough team is one that can consistently contend and that has like Super Bowl contention can be taken seriously for them. Not even not only in this year, but in years in the future. I think that's a properly built team. And I think really only maybe two or three franchises achieve that. However, the standard is not just field a team and the Vikings aren't even there yet. They had, they do have not fielded an NFL roster yet. They still need more starters on the offensive line. I think they currently have four starting quality players. And I think Pat Elfline is like on the border based on what we've seen of him in his first two years in the league. And hopefully he has, you know, he accelerates his play. And we've talked a bunch about the reasons why that is something that you might be able to bet on. But right now they have four starting offensive linemen and they do not have a fifth. They also, in my opinion, do not currently have a starting three technique defensive tackle. I know that Shamar Steven is probably slated to be that guy right now, just like Danny Isadora would probably be the left guard as things play out this season, but I would call those guys replacement level players at best. They've never taken starting level snaps, and, in, and until they go into a preseason and show that they can start and like beat out an entrenched starter, I don't think they should be taken seriously as options to start. Like, unless there's something about them that proves that they are of starting quality, and I don't think either of those guys have that on their resume. So all of this is to say the Vikings are still an incomplete project, and and that is not a criticism of them, right? I mean, it's mid-March. There's a lot of time to figure that out. There's the whole draft. They might, you know, they might draft a, a guard and then defensive tackle, and then there you go. Your roster is, com- or at least your starting roster is complete, and then it's all about depth from there on out. But here's the thing. Every team will get to that point every single year without fail. It is very rare that a team goes into a season with an unproven player starting at a position that doesn't have a very good reason for being there, like they were drafted in the first round or, you know, they earned it in preseason play or anything. Like, it's very rare that somebody just goes into a season going like, yeah, this dude picked him up off the practice squad. He's going to be our starting right tackle. I actually think the Bengals did something like that with their offensive line, like last year or a couple years ago or something like that. It turned out predictably. The point is, that is not, like, you don't get points for just putting enough guys on the field. They have to be good enough to compete. 
And so I wanted to take this moment because, you know, there's not much else news going on at, at this particular juncture that we haven't covered already. I can really talk about the Josh Klein signing, which is going to be like the marquee moment of, of the offseason so far for a lot of people, especially the people that didn't want Bar to return and did want, you know, a guard and everything. They got a guard. And now we get to take a moment and really like decide how we feel about this in this moment when he has just joined the team and we haven't seen him in purple at all yet. We get to see how he felt. And this will be useful to look back on, you know, in the middle of the season or even after the season or even after just the preseason and say, okay, how did we feel then in March when we got this guy versus how do we feel now that we've seen him a little bit or how do we feel now that he has played a few snaps or now that we've gotten even just a training camp report and and especially like right before training camp starts, will we feel different about signings like this and the state of the roster and the state of the whole Vikings offseason? Will we feel differently in say June or July when we're gearing up and getting all excited for training camp than we do now? And I think probably... And I think it's good to kind of get on record right now and say, this is how, this is my opinion of the signing. And if I feel differently in July, then we can kind of reconcile that and we can use this moment to help make sense of it. And so with Josh Klein or really any free agent signing, we need to kind of apply the same evaluative standard that we've applied to like every signing. What did we expect? What were our expectations for what the guard position was supposed to be? And I think for a lot of people listening to this show and a lot of people who aren't listening to the show, the expectation was go get the biggest name out there. Go get Roger Saffold. Show show us that you're taking the problem seriously and, and go spend something. You haven't done it yet, and it's time to, to stop beating around the bush and take it seriously. And they didn't do that. Josh Klein, by all accounts, is what some people would I would call him bargain bin. I think that has too negative of a connotation for a signing like, like this. I'd call him a second wave free agent, which is what the Vikings always do. They didn't go first wave this time, and for some people, that's going to say, all right, that does not meet my expectation. I don't think they did enough. And the only real problem I have with that is that it doesn't actually take into account evaluating Josh Klein. Like, if Josh Klein were a better guard than Roger Saffold, he's not. But if he were, but Roger Saffold was still the guy that got all the hype because he played on the Super Bowl team and had a good playoff game, like, then the Vikings would have would be correct to get the better guard and not the more hyped guard. So that's, like, my only, like, disagreement with that opinion. And it's a really nitpicky one, right? The point is, a lot of people wanted them to go out, get a big name, and, you know, go make a marquee splash move, then they didn't do that. They kind of did the, like, safe, responsible, but not necessarily superstar move. And for a lot of people, that's where this ends. And they say, this was not good enough, and you did not address guard again. But for me, my expectation wasn't quite that intense or specific. I laid it out at the beginning of the offseason. I said, two starters and a backup. And maybe I wasn't specific enough, you know, by two starters, I don't mean guys who are barely starting quality, obviously, or like replacement level players, which is a fancy way of saying a guy who would be in like the bottom quarter of the league if they started. But I wanted two viable quality starters on the offensive line and a backup option. And to help contextualize like that standard, I don't think Tom Compton is a starter. I think he's a very good backup, but I don't think he's a starter. I don't think Nick Easton is immediately anointed with a starter, but I think he could prove that in a preseason. And I wouldn't blame the Vikings for believing in Nick Easton, which they clearly did, and so did the Saints. I definitely don't think Mike Remmers is a starter, at least not at right guard. I do think he's a starter at right tackle and somebody still hasn't gotten that bargain yet. And so for Josh Klein, because of some of the stuff that I talked about in previous episodes, you know, his technique is a little sloppy, but he can anchor and he can move really well. I think he's a starter, but I'm a little underwhelmed. I kind of wish he they had gotten someone a little better. I don't know who else was on the market that they could afford. I don't know what their options were, but in just measuring this particular signing against the abstract standards set on this show before the offseason... I think it's close, but not quite satisfying enough. 
And a lot of people, you know, in the replies of the signing news and on social media all day really seemed to be satisfied that they got a guard and that it was someone and they went and signed a guy and, and there was a lot of like, oh, finally, are you happy now, Vikings fans? And well, if you don't think he's good enough, then no, you don't have to be happy. And if you do think he's good enough, then yes, you should jump for joy. I fall kind of on the line. I, I'm not quite sure if he's good enough. I think if he's not good enough, he's close. And I think if he is good enough, it's barely and I don't know what you want to make of that or how excited you want to be about it, but that's just kind of where I fall on the signing. But like the title of the show says, you don't get points for completion. This isn't a pass-fail thing. You have to do a good enough job, and the Vikings still have a lot of work to do on the offensive line. So they are not going to rest on their laurels, and as fans, we shouldn't expect them to. And real quick before going into the next segment of the show, remember to get this show every day, your daily source for Minnesota Vikings news and analysis, Subscribe to Locked on Vikings on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya. They've got personally curated playlists. They have new features every day. It's a brand new thing. Download Himalaya. Give it a try. Download it from the App Store and subscribe to Locked on Vikings. See if you like it better than your current podcast option wherever you get your shows. Give Himalaya a shot. All right, so the other thing that I wanted to mention especially when it comes to Josh Klein, because now I think people can more comfortably look toward the draft. The Vikings are going to have to draft an offensive lineman high. If they don't, they're going to end up starting Danny Isadora, and I think willingly going into the season with like Danny Isadora and a fourth-round pick or whatever is a pretty big mistake, and I don't think I need to convince anybody out there of that. But the problem is the draft doesn't always behave. It doesn't always fall the way you want it to. You know, the Vikings at 18, they could be looking at like Jonah Williams or Cody Ford, those are guys that project really well to moving into left guard, and they would fill the hole pretty cleanly. They could be looking at Garrett Bradbury. They could be looking at Andre Dillard. They could be looking at Dalton Risner. These are all guys, I think most of those guys, the Vikings have actually like shown genuine interest in. Uh, the, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer actually went to the Buckeyes Pro Day uh, where the only offensive lineman that they've, or the only Buckeye at all that they've shown any interest in, in the combine, they met with the combine with Michael Jordan, who uh, is projects to be like a good interior offensive lineman, or I don't know about good because it's the draft, but he projects better to interior offensive lineman, uh, and he is probably like a, a late day two, day three type pick. And if you remember, he's uh, one of the guys that I guaranteed would be a Viking in a couple episodes back. One of those guys was Devon Austin, though, so my guarantees aren't looking great, you guys. But I digress. The point is, the guy that might be the best offensive lineman available, and I think everybody, you know, if, if Rick Spielman, after round one of the draft, gets onto that podium and says, yeah, we took the best offensive lineman we could at 18, whoever that guy ends up being, like, we could argue about the evaluations, but I don't think anybody would disagree with that process, even if it nets us, like, a right tackle, which is the, the last thing the Vikings need, or, like, Garrett Bradbury, who's the center. And that means that somebody might have to, like, shuffle around. But I've seen some shuffles that really, really don't resonate with me, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because I've, I've talked about position switching before. You know, if you go scroll back through this show, you'll see one on, on position switching, specifically on the offensive line. We dedicated a whole show to it. But there's one configuration that I've seen tossed around a lot, and it involves the Vikings moving Riley Reef into left guard, which we've talked about why that is very unwise. He just doesn't have the skill set or the build to really be a guard. He hasn't played guard in quite a while. He makes a much better left tackle. He's been a career left tackle for a reason. And then switching Brian O'Neill from right tackle to left tackle and then acquiring a new right tackle in the draft. 
And I think you make all three positions worse by doing that, right? Like, I don't think Brian O'Neill, fresh off of a side switch and still in his second year at a position he has not been playing for as long as most other tackles in the league. If you recall, in Pitt, he was a tight end for a while. And in high school, he was a tight end. And then they had him bulk up and, and he's even undersized for a right tackle. Moving him to left tackle would not only cause him to re-flip positions. He did play left tackle in Pitt sometimes, but he flipped over to the right side and making him undo that is a whole new learning curve that he has to like reacclimate himself to but he's also just like not as good of a fit there and Riley Reef wouldn't be as good at at left guard as say just getting a rookie that's dedicated to play there or even like in the first half of the season like I don't know if Riley Reef moving to guard plays better than Tom Compton did in the first half of the season and that is with a very lukewarm opinion of Tom Compton and then slotting in a rookie at the right tackle position doesn't really instill any confidence either because Brian O'Neill played very well for a rookie. This is when we did our offensive line review. We talked about Brian O'Neill and we said he played well for a rookie and he'll have to improve on that before we just say he's playing well, period. He played well for a rookie and that, you know, your first year is very hard in the NFL and playing well through that is a really good omen and projects very well to the future but he'll still have to improve to, like, realize that projection. And I don't think putting in a random rookie, like, odds are that they aren't better than that. Again, Brian O'Neill played very well for a rookie. Any old rookie is not going to be able to replace that. So I think that shuffle does a lot more harm than good. And it's not like acquiring a right tackle is any easier than than acquiring a left guard. There are a million left guards everywhere. And a lot of teams have acquired their starting left guard in like the fourth round of the draft. Like it's very easy to acquire a left guard provided you evaluate properly and compare that to right tackle where you still have to evaluate property, but you just like have to spend more. It's just a way to get a more expensive offensive line with less chemistry. And the thing is, we just tested this. We just saw it flipped around where we had Mike Remmers move into guard and then put a rookie at right tackle. But like, we just saw that thing fail miserably. And I think if you did that, you'd be even worse than 2018. And I know the the goal is to get a new offensive line. But again, like the the title of the episode says, you don't get points for completion. You have to actually make it better. And I don't think that plan makes it better. So if the Vikings did do that. Now, it's it's different if, say, you know, Andre Dillard falls to the Vikings. I, I discussed Andre Dillard with a lot of people when I was, like, proposing him in part of an offensive line. And I said, hey, you know, uh, Reef at left tackle, Dillard at left guard, and blah, blah, blah. And people were like, no, 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 you have to put Dillard at left guard and Reef would slot inside. Okay, sure, fine, that's fair. And if Andre Dillard is so good of a left tackle that it makes it worth the cost of Riley Reef playing that much worse, because again, it's not impossible to do it. You just have to accept the fact that he'll be a little worse. And maybe that's worth it if Andre Dillard is that good of a prospect. But getting a guy like, say, Dalton Risner, put him at right tackle, is he going to play better than Brian O'Neill? Brian O'Neill was like one of the better rookie right tackles in the league. Is Dalton Risner going to be that right away? And is that going to be, and is he, not only that, but is he going to be better than Brian O'Neill to such a degree that it warrants making Brian O'Neill worse by putting him at left tackle and making Riley Reef worse by putting him in at left guard? It makes for a complete group. And you have, you know, all right, you've got a left tackle, you have a left guard, you have a center and elf line, you have a right guard inclined, and now you have your right tackle and Risner. You you have a complete group, but you don't get points for completion. I can think off the top of my head of about 15 smarter permutations that the Vikings could more easily attain 
than trying to draft a high right tackle and then moving their whole offensive line around to figure it out. Now, again, like I said at the beginning of the segment, the draft is not kind and it doesn't behave the way you want it to and it might not fall the way that it can. You might have to draft a center and then figure out which one which one between the center like Garrett Bradbury and Elfline is kicking out to guard. You might have to deal with that problem. But as with all problem solving in football and in all walks of life, you should try to minimize the damage if you can't solve the problem outright. If you draft, say, a, a tackle, don't put that guy at the right tackle so that you have to move a whole bunch of other people. Put that guy at left tackle, and if you do have to move Reef into guard and that stinks, then so be it, but at least you didn't screw up the whole right side of the line too. The Vikings are not historically very good at this. I think they undervalue the cost of position switching on the offensive line and have for years, and I think they've been punished for that quite a bit. I think they've gotten quality players like Brandon Fusco and players with potential like TJ Clemmings and really ruined them by moving them around, and Clemmings was a whole different situation that had like a bunch of things going wrong, but I think like Mike Remmers, Brandon Fusco, Charlie Johnson, like I can rattle off a lot of names that moved when they shouldn't have, and it, and it really ruined them, and I don't think the Vikings have been very good at evaluating that cost. So if the draft doesn't behave and you end up having to do something, you should try to figure out the permutation that moves as few players as possible while still having players in positions they can excel at. That doesn't seem like it should be a hot take, but it's becoming a hotter and hotter take, especially since there was a rumor that they were like tossing around Riley Reef to guard as an option. And I, and I think like that's a fair thing to discuss beforehand, right? And say, all right, listen, left tackle of of your dreams falls to us. Do we draft him or do we say, no, we have Riley Reef? And I think their answer is, oh, we draft him. We figure out with Riley Reef, we move it to guard or something. Like that sounds like what that conversation was. And then like the last part of it got leaked. And that's a much different thing than we're going to move Riley Reef to, to solve the guard problem. And then we'll go get a left tackle. That to me just makes everything expensive and bad. And that's the worst two things to be is expensive and bad. So on that wonderful note, I am going to wrap up this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening all week. Uh, I know that the news was not quite as exciting as maybe you were getting your hopes up for for free agency, but there was a lot of stuff, a lot of little odds and ends to keep track of. So thank you guys so much for hanging out while we sorted through all of that mess. And remember, you can always subscribe to this show on that new Himalaya podcast. I know this is like super sponsored sounding, but go check it out. Give it a shot. You can always... Go back to wherever you find your podcasts. You can find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, anywhere where you usually get your podcast. And of course, you can always get in your car and tell your smart device, play podcast, Locked On Vikings, and it'll find it for you. You don't have to think about any of this. But until next time, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And as always, Skull.